Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm Sheila Shoiga, and welcome to Ready to Be Real Conversations, the podcast series where I chat to people of all walks of life. Some names you'll recognise, others you might not. But my hope is that these conversations will at times inspire, challenge, educate, comfort, or simply entertain you. As this episode is being released on St. Patrick's Day, I thought it would be great to talk to historian and artist Shelley Mooney once again. The whole idea that, you know, we have Patrick who represents Christianity and, um, you know, that part of our of our history, but that he's married, in a folkloric sense, to this goddess, Sheila. Who embodies who, paganism. Who embodies, yeah, our pre-Christian path. Mm. And I, 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 maybe that's not an incorrect comparison to draw, but in my mind, I feel that that's so Ops powerful. Attract. It's so powerful, you know, and it's this <laughs> marriage of our past and present. Shelley lives in County Wexford with her husband, Kev, their baby, Ferdia, and Lola, their dog. And she runs the brilliant Instagram page, Tales from the Wood, which explores the history and mythology of Ireland. And in this conversation, she talks to us about St. Patrick and the man he was before the title of saint was bestowed upon him. But even more interesting than that, she talks to us about Sheila, her connection to Patrick and the often misunderstood symbol of Sheila in the gig. So we spoke at the end of January all about Bridget yeah. and the coming of spring with the Celtic Festival of Imbolc. Mm-hmm. And we thought you'd be back a few months later talking <laughs> about Beltona, which you will be. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime... The podcast comes out on a Friday. This is, of course, St. Patrick's Day. Sure, it was perfect. Perfect Perfect. for Sheila. So let's get into him because, you know, the brand St. Patrick Mm. is known not just in Ireland, but globally. Mm -hmm. And it is the most Irish of days. And we've we've all kind of learned about Patrick through school and there is an awareness of him and the whole snakes out of Ireland thing. Mm -hmm. Right. But there are, I'm sure... (laughs) 
there's so much more that we don't know <laughs> and you were the very person to fill in the gaps. <laughs> so let's talk about him. Who was he? So the man himself uh, shrouded in mystery as mm. all these things are, you know, but um, I actually took classes on him specifically in UCD back when I was studying years ago um, and I just, I really wanted to know a little bit more because he is like, he's just this incredible enigma and um, mm. I have to say from doing the classes, I, I, it's turned into a lifelong kind of obsession and love um, for the legends and for the, you know, the mystery around him. But he's, it's an amazing story. So I suppose you could say that there are almost two Patricks. Mm. So there's the historical Patrick that actually not many people know about. Um, and then there is this legendary Patrick who has almost become as big a part of our mythology here in Ireland as any of the others, you know, as, as any of the two had Adanan or Bridget or any of them. Patrick's myths and his legends are completely like, you know, bound into our folklore and our mm. traditions here. Um, and the the legendary Patrick is what we kind of all think of on Patrick's Day. So we have the shamrocks and the snakes and the bishop with the crozier and casting out the pagans and all that. But the man himself um, is, I think, just so much more interesting. So yeah. he, he was a, an historical figure who actually walked this island um, in the 5th century. So a lot of people would be familiar with maybe the start of the story. Um, so he was around 16 years old. He was living in Britain, possibly Wales. Um, and he was abducted by Irish pirates. <laughs> and mm. he was captured and enslaved and sold into slavery in Ireland, where he ended up on a mountainside tending sheep. Yeah, this is all what we learned. That's what we learned. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely what we learned. And um, that's what he himself testifies to mm. in his own writing. So Patrick left behind two pieces of writing. The first one is called The Confessio. And basically what that is, it's kind of a semi-autobiographical account of his own life. It's a little bit maybe short. We, we'd love if he'd given us a little bit more uh, detail, um, but it's brilliant. And then the second one is a, is a um, another letter called A Letter to the Soldiers of Caroticus. And basically in that, he's pleading with um, an Irish warlord to free some slaves that he'd converted and all the rest. So, But the, the really interesting one is the Confessio. Okay. So I'm going to read you the first line of the Confessio, just to mm. kind of get a sense of uh, the type of man that you you're talking about. So he says, my name is Patrick. I am a sinner, a simple country person and the least of all believers. I am looked down upon by many. My father was Calpornius. He was a deacon. His father was Petitus, a priest who lived at Banavum Tabernay. His home was near there and that is where I was taken prisoner. I was about 16 at the time. And that's the first line. It's punchy, isn't it? It's punchy. And I yeah. think what you can see from that immediately is that this is not a man who was walking the length and breadth of the island wearing a bishop's hat and a crozier and, you know, mm. striking down his foes. This is a very humble, sincere kind of person who I think... Uh, doesn't he? He doesn't take himself that seriously. Mm. He, he, you know, again and again throughout his own writing, he it seems to be self conscious about his lack of education, okay, and about his, uh, you know, that he he's he's a very humble servant of God, and he he sincerely is. Well, he's very sincere in his beliefs, you know. Yeah. Um, and I've just always kind of resonated with that that image, you know. That so when I hear Saint Patrick now, I tend not to think of the the classic old man with the hat, and I think of a young man. Yes. Sitting on the side of the mountain in very simple slaves clothes in a, in a state of, you know, obviously starvation, perhaps. Mm. And he hears the voice of God, according to his own writings. And I think that is just such a fascinating, you know, glimpse 
uh, into this man's life and uh, the kind of man he was. For sure. And, you know, it's it's refreshing to hear that because, mm. you know, the symbol of, of Patrick is is so distinct in our minds and it is the older man with the big beard. Yeah. yeah really, yeah, in our minds. It is. Even though we learned about mm. him as a young lad, you know, tending sheep. We don't, off, well, I don't often think of him in that way. So it's nice that you're allowing that pause for thought to see him in, in a different light. Yeah. And to think about it, I suppose, in terms of a, a real person, you know, and not this, like some of the legends are just, like they're brilliant, you know, but this whole thing about, um, you know, uh, casting the snakes out. I mean, people have drawn comparisons um, that perhaps that's a metaphor for pagans mm. um, because we didn't have snakes in Ireland. <laughs> yeah. Even back then, we didn't have them. Um, but Patrick never mentions anything about casting snakes out himself. A lot of all these things... Are pagans? Not, nothing, really. Like, you know, yeah. n- nothing t- the way that we, we would recognise it now. Um, but that all came later. It's centuries later, people writing hagiographies about Patrick and um, attributing all these things to him that maybe other preachers or bishops did um, but certainly uh, there's no evidence that Patrick ever did it himself. So I suppose the evolution of Patrick in terms of what we know today but you're really kind of about stripping it back to deal with what we do know what we do have as evidence of who this person was. Yeah and I suppose what we can infer from what we know as well. So you know uh, in in a lot of the legends there's a lot of stories about Patrick um, smiting down his you know the heathen Irish and he's very confrontational he's almost a sorcerer like you know he's a a, he comes across as a bad guy you know in a lot of these stories. Yeah. Um, But I think if we can think about you know 5th century Ireland very tribal um, the dominant religion was this, you know, polytheist um, paganism, pre-Christian. Um, and the only people that really would have had leeway to travel around the country like that would have been uh, kings, you know, poets, judges, important people. Mm. Everyone else didn't travel. So the fact that Patrick was allowed, and he lived to an old age, was allowed to travel around for that long in a strange country um, you know, preaching this religion that was kind of frowned upon by, you know, let's face it, by the people in Ireland at the time. Um, but the fact that he was allowed to do that, I think we can infer maybe that he obviously wasn't going around murdering people because he swiftly would have found himself on the end of a knife, I suppose, if yes, he was doing yeah. that, you know. But he didn't. He kept going. And um, I, I always kind of, you know, and I... I, I nearly run off sometimes with my thoughts but I love to imagine at the time what kind of conversations must have been going on when he'd pull up somewhere and uh, you know he'd be invited in to break bread with the people there what kind of conversations were going on around the table what Mm. they were talking about how they were talking to him you know and I'm sure like we all have debates around our kitchen tables now Mm. um, about different things and you know be it politics or whatever it is Um, I imagine it must have been a very interesting time to be around and to be listening in on those conversations you know and that's what I find fascinating about Patrick. Does he speak about that moment when there is a communication with with God? Mm. Yeah, so he uh, repeatedly hears from God throughout yeah. his life. Mm. Um, now, I, I remember actually when I was doing my classes, I had to just ask straight out, like, was he lying? You know, is he <laughs> lying in this? You know, okay. he, was he really communing with God? Like, you know. Um, was he and, schizophrenic? I well, mean, I, I, I don't mean to be facetious, no, but, but honestly, was he to, hearing voices? I like to think about these things, you know, and I and what my um, lecturer said at the time was that this man was up on the side of a mountain, mm. starving. On his own. On his own, like yeah. with only the sheep for company. And God knows what kind of mushrooms or whatever would have been growing up there, you know, that maybe he was just starving and like... Off his bin. 
Yeah. <laughs> he sincerely held the belief that this was the voice of God, you know, and that when he was up on the mountain, God told him that, you know, his ship was going to arrive to take him home. So off he goes and he he walked 200 miles to get to this ship and brought him back to, to Britain. And um, then, you know, we get this heroic story of, you know, being lost in the wilderness and God helping him find his way, much like Moses or even Jesus. There's yeah. a lot of similarities in the, Luke Skywalker, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of similarities, um, you know, with that that kind of hero's journey, yeah, um, that yeah, we see yeah, in Patrick. Yeah. But eventually, anyway, he hears God again, the people, the voice of Ireland, calling him back to save the Irish. And I'm doing inverted commas there, yes, <laughs> you know, yeah. from their pagan ways, and off he goes. But uh, yeah, whatever from their pagan in tune with nature ways. Yes, I, exactly. So calling him back. Mm. It's. I, I find one of the the interesting things about Patrick, and maybe it was just from my childhood eyes or perspective. Mm-hmm. As a kid, I used to think, well, he wasn't actually Irish. No, that always fascinated me as well. I'm so glad you said that. Okay, honest to God, like I like you know we discussed Bridget the last time I was here. I mean, what a woman! Like, and yeah. a real Irish woman, and and I said it. I think at the time that. If there's going to be a patron saint that we all celebrate, that's our culture and whatever, surely it would be her because Patrick was English you know? yeah. <laughs> or British. <laughs> Check their passport. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but yeah, I always, always I remember always thinking, why is it OK? So he is Ireland, mm. but he wasn't born here. I know. It's funny, isn't it? But maybe that's a nice story as well. I don't know that, you know, people can come from abroad and be as Irish as any of the rest of us. Like, you know, maybe there's that element to it. But uh, yeah, and just then on the whole, the saint thing as well. You know, it's funny. Um, he was never actually formally canonised. Um, okay. Nor was he ever, we believe, um, ordained t- as a bishop. So is he really a saint? He was kind of a chancer, Sheila. <laughs> <laughs> because there were other missionaries being sent out, you know, to shepherd the uh, the Irish Christians back in the, you know, early medieval period and, you know, the fifth century when Patrick was there. Um, but Patrick wasn't formally sent from Rome. You know, we had other fellas like Palladius, who I think... Poor El Palladius now, but Patrick got a lot of the credit <laughs> for his work. Right. Um, but there's others that were sent and dispatched specifically from Rome to come and um, be our, you know, guide the flock in Ireland. But Patrick kind of on his own volition. And that's why I, I say like he must have really, truly and genuinely believed and felt that faith if he was willing to kind of almost forego. And that's in, in his confessio as well. And I'm sorry, I'm skipping from point to point, but he... um. It's in the confessio. It almost reads like he's trying to validate his work, <laughs> you know, a little bit. Okay. That uh, maybe he was getting a little bit of criticism from the 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 big guys, you know. Right. Who is this lad? Like, you know, but and and so he's trying to lay out, uh, you know, his own faith and his own journey, and um, it's very compelling, you know. Whatever you might think of him, he comes across very humble and sincere in that, and you know, that's. <laughs> The impression I get. It's, it's it's so it's so interesting, and I have I still have quite a lot of of questions mm. ab- about him. Like one of the questions that's coming to mind is how does he go from being this humble mm. young guy, tending sheep, doing something on a, on a very basic level, to becoming a bit of a star, a bit of a superstar? Mm. Then he becomes you know, you, you know he he gets a bit of notoriety and a bit of fame. Like when does the stamp of patron saint? Uh, arrive. I know not till a lot later. Yeah. But in his lifetime, does he reach a level of recognition? Well, we don't know. See, this is okay. this is the thing. We we have two pieces um, of writing in his own hands, which 
I will say that's kind of amazing, you know, that we have these things written by him. But not a whole lot else um, contemporary to Patrick that we would have to draw from about him. Only things that we can kind of guess and infer and, you know, whatever. But I don't mean we couldn't cross you. And I don't mean to be cynical. Mm-hmm. But if he or, if he says in his writings that he didn't feel he was very well educated and mm-hmm. he, he didn't have a lot of confidence, yet he can write so beautifully. Yeah. Is that... And funnily enough, he writes in Latin as well. So obviously he was, you know, in some way educated. And, you know, he says, he talks about, you know, there were were religious figures in his family before him, but he had lost his faith. So when he came to Ireland, he had no faith um, or he very little anyway. He, He distanced himself from it and found God again then when he was a slave. But we do have enough evidence to confidently say, yes, these are the writings of the original Patrick. It's accepted. Yeah, okay. It is accepted. Okay, great. Are. So there's no no debate over that. Brilliant. Mm-hmm. Right. So um yeah, when does he become the the Patrick that we know today? When does that happen? Yeah, so I I mean, it just in the centuries since his death, yeah, you know, yeah. we kind of made him this uh this just supernatural phenomenon, you know. Um in the you know, hundreds of years after Patrick himself died. Um we get writings from uh, different little monks, scribes, people of that nature, you know, who uh, wanted to, I suppose, write down the stories. And um, so we get these hagiographies that uh, they start attributing all these things to Patrick that we've no idea where these stories came from. You know, so um, the shamrock, I suppose, being the kind of uh, the biggest example. Mm. Now, that it's a great story, you know, that he picks up the shamrock and it's uh, this little three-leafed plant, this common plant that would have been very familiar to the Irish and it's, it was his way of explaining how three beings could make up one god. But I suppose, like, some people take issue with that because really the whole idea of... Uh, three beings making up one person wouldn't have been a strange one to the Irish anyway. You know, we, they're, the, the pre-Christian beliefs are littered with triple Trinity. deities. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. the number three, like sure, it's so mm. important to them. Um, So I don't know, like I, it kind of feels maybe that would have been something that maybe, I don't know, another priest or a bishop did years later that just got attributed to him, you know, because... It it just seems that maybe wouldn't have been necessary at the time to, okay. to have to illustrate it like that. But yes. um, but regardless, um, it's attributed to him now. You know, there's, yeah. we'll all keep drowning the shamrocks. Up yeah, totally. He was some man for a parade as well, wasn't he? Oh, unbelievable! He loved a parade. He loved he a good did. float. He he loved a float. <laughs> he did. <laughs> good old marching band thrown in. So we, you know, Patrick now has become nowadays. A, a little bit of a he, he's a figure that divides people mm-hmm. there's yeah. still a lot of love for him and it's great that mm-hmm. we have a day and it's a day to celebrate yeah. and you know a lot of people love to plan a, mm-hmm. a break away around Paddy's <laughs> um, but there are some people that feel a little bit mm, yeah, not so sure yeah and I think that's really heightened um, in the last I don't know say 10-20 years there is a, a lot of I can just see resentment building, I suppose. And um, I can understand it. I, I really can because he, he is associated with the end of our pagan past and the beginning of our Christian, you know, reality. Um, but as I said, you know, sometimes, and I think it's probably because I'm a historian and I like to be objective as much as I can about things. Uh, just going by his writings alone, I don't know, is it fair like to to have that sort of criticism of him. Yeah. Certainly uh, criticise organised religion till the, you know, night comes in. <laughs> I will be leading the, the battle on that one. But uh, Patrick himself, you know, he he um, he's more of just a historical figure, I suppose, that has had a lot of things attributed to him after his death that, I don't know, maybe he never asked for that. That's how I like to think about it. Anyway, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And thank you for shining a light on that as well. Yeah. Um, so in, in recent years, and it's something I only heard about myself mm. a few years ago. <laughs> I'd never heard the talk of it before. Sheila the Gig, yes, absolutely mm. lots. And I, I feel, obviously, because it's a connection with my name, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. But this idea, and I suppose it is, is it just an idea? I'd love to know more. This idea that Patrick had a wife mm-hmm. and her name was Sheila. <laughs> and I have heard reports that while Patrick's Day is the 17th of March, the day after the 18th of March really is her day, Sheila's day. Sheila's day. Sheila's day. <laughs> you must love that, Sheila. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to start my own parade. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So, yeah, I'd love mm. to talk about her. Yeah, um, another just, like, just such a fascinating um, set of stories, you know, of Sheila. And, uh, yeah, and you touched on there, you know, the idea that um, she's St. Patrick's wife. And, you know, there, there's, it, it's like, and I was saying to you, you know, earlier on before mm. we got started that, unfortunately, like so many other things um, in Irish mythology, it's, there's a lot of mystery. She's kind of shrouded in vagueness and, you know, you kind of have to fill in the gaps and research a lot, I suppose, to kind of form an opinion on it. But I'm sorry to say, I don't think St. Patrick had a wife. Okay. <laughs> there's no evidence. Um, he would have been allowed. You know, it wouldn't have been a controversial back then for him to have a wife. There's certainly not one mentioned. But again, um, it's just entered into folklore that uh, Sheila, this mysterious um, feminine uh, earthy figure um, was his wife and it that was something that has died out you know really since the 1800s here in Ireland that's died out where do they how do they make that leap then how did if if what we know is it's probably unlikely that's mm-hmm. actually true at all <laughs> um, how did they then start to I suppose make that association we don't know don't know, interesting. Not, don't right, know. okay. Yeah, I know, it's a bummer because I'd love to know. Yeah. I'd love to know where that came from. <laughs> I'm so curious. Um, no, but what we do know is that, uh, you know, and, and um, 
so as I was saying, kind of pre-1800s, uh, this was a kind of a big thing, an important, sort of almost a feast day, I suppose, the, the May 18th of March after St. Patrick's Day. And um, also something that was very important to the Irish diaspora who left here um, and went to places like Newfoundland and Australia. So Sheila is someone that, um, with a lot of the wave of Irish people that left, um, you know, coming up to the famine and around that time, she seemed to have gone with them. And... Newfoundland in particular is a very, very interesting um, place. Now there's a, I'm going to forget the name, of the name. I believe it's Talavon Aishk, um in oh, yeah, Newfoundland. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, the most Irish place outside of Ireland, allegedly. Yeah. And a lot of our, you know, traditional music, uh, folk beliefs, things like that, ended up um, going over to Newfoundland and surviving in a very pure form. Mm-hmm. You know, where they got lost here, I suppose, because there, a lot of these ideas were kind of frowned on by the church. So got lost kind of ended up surviving in places like Newfoundland. So there's a story, um, and again, kind of a little bit vague, is it the same Sheila? We don't know, but there's a story of an Irish princess named Sheila Naguire, who uh, was taking a ship to France, I believe, um, but was waylaid by pirates and ended up being taken to Newfoundland. But she married the pirate that had captured her on board the ship. And when they got there, she had a baby and it was supposed to be the first European child born in Newfoundland. Um so but she kind of entered into this um this this folk tradition over there um that basically what it what some of the legends that go along with it are things like um Sheila's brush it's called. Mm. So that would be the last snowstorm after St Patrick's Day and there's a superstition that you don't go out sealing or you don't go out on your ships um until Sheila's brush has passed. And that uh it, that Sheila's brush is called Sheila na gig, mm-hmm. which kind of brings us nicely into what we're familiar with over yeah, here. Yes, it's Sheila na gig. Yeah. Um. So I don't know for anybody who's probably not familiar with what a Sheila na gig is, and I don't know how <laughs> descriptive I can get. Oh no, okay, hey, get as, as descriptive <laughs> as you're comfortable, and that you will allow yourself to, okay. because I think the more we speak about uh, what Sheila na gig is all about and what what the symbol stands mm-hmm. for the better it is for everyone because I know in certainly in my childhood and what we grew up in the, the kind of the crude learnings through school mm-hmm. was that it was always seen as very vulgar mm-hmm. and v- deeply uncomfortable to talk about but yeah. actually while it is it is it is a very pr- the, the images of Sheen and the Gigs are very primal they're very mm-hmm. they're very raw they're very real um, but what they stand for is very powerful yeah oh 100% and I so agree with you that I think you know any kind of uncomfortableness about, you know, particularly the female body that has just been, you know, uh, just frowned on throughout history, really. And it's, yeah. it's a it's a horrible shame. And I really would love to see that kind of whole idea come to an end because we're all enlightened now. You know, yeah. and, she, and she is a deeply misunderstood symbol. Yeah. So anyway, basically what Sheila in a gig is, and I'll describe it for people who maybe not uh, are not familiar. It's a carving and there's hundreds of them here in, here in mm. Ireland. They're little carvings of what appear to be old women mm-hmm. um, naked with their legs apart and they're displaying an enlarged vulva or vagina. Yeah. And it's 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 shocking. It's a shocking image when you see it the first time. You're kind of blown away. Oh my God, like it's so yeah. vivid. Is this, is this what I'm saying? It's Yeah, it is shocking, you know. And even more shocking, I think, is when people realise that a lot of them are found on churches. Yeah. Which just seems to, it's just one of those, almost a paradox, you know. 
that uh, this shocking, you know, that women have been really, you know, not allowed to discuss our bodies, not allowed to um, hold any position of, of, of power or importance within that institution. But then you have these mad medieval stone figures, you know, that almost guard the doors and the windows and uh, it's yeah. in, it's incredible. So and what's all, what's that all about? Because yeah. again, it's the the fact that it was it was a kind of a oh no no we just we don't talk about that yeah. we don't talk about them yeah. at all. Do you yeah. know we'll just brush over that <laughs> and move on. But actually, it's time that we do talk about it. Yeah, no, absolutely. And celebrate her, celebrate uh, the symbol. Hundred percent, Sheila. A hundred percent. Um, so there's a lot of speculation on what they actually were. Um, we don't know for sure, unfortunately. Um, but they are, uh, we think the the carvings at least medieval in origin. Whether or not they were. Built built um, at the time of the, the churches and the castles that they're on. We don't know. Or maybe they were brought from elsewhere and mounted up on the walls. We, we're not sure where where the, um, where they would have come from originally. We would imagine that it could be for protection. It could be for luck. It could be maybe, uh, in another way of looking at it, maybe um, a sort of a warning, you know, about the sins of lust or whatever. I don't really read it like that, though. I have to say, I don't read it like that. Um and there's speculation maybe as well that it, it, it's almost like an older woman nearly showing you how to give birth. I don't know. It's, 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 and the, the, um, what things that would have been encouraged maybe, um, in medieval times in preparation for birth would be to try and loosen the vagina or, you know, to try and, in, in preparation, basically getting your body prepared. And that this is kind of a window into uh, life and death and uh, this whole, like, amazing idea of, of rebirth and, you know, the wisdom of the crone and all that kind of thing yeah. being passed on. So is it a combination of of the three symbols, I suppose, of of womanhood, the, the maiden, the mother and the crone all in one? Possibly. Like, for me, I've always, well, now that I'm learning more about it, it feels like it is a symbol of creation, of fertility, mm-hmm. of birth of renewal yeah. um, while that juxtaposition of, of the image of the of the older woman it yeah. is in your brain it's doing something it's kind of like it what, is. what what but it, it's probably saying to me it seems like it's saying so much yeah. but I love the mystery of, of, oh, of her also I know and I think as well I mean we can draw comparisons between um the the imagery in the in uh, Sheila and Gig and also on Kylock. So yes. you know I I and I'm I'm sure you're familiar with um you know on Kylock and the, this hag goddess that is really almost a forgotten goddess as well similar to Sheila that people have almost forgotten that we have this ancient entity on Kylock here in in Ireland and in a lot of the Celtic um uh communities um. And basically, this is a goddess of winter, of death and of rebirth. She takes the form of an old woman and, you know, it's sort of the wisdom um, of age and and the wisdom that that we accumulate and that is at its peak before death, basically, is what, you know, what we'd be kind of talking about. And it's no coincidence that Sheila, as in this goddess that is supposedly Patrick's wife and all the rest, and on Kylock, um, that... You know, her day is the 18th of March. Mm. We have the spring equinox coming up next Monday on the 20th. Mm. So all of these things are linked, yeah. I think, anyway. And yeah. even, you know, and I mentioned to you before, the whole idea that, you know, we have Patrick who represents Christianity and, um, you know, that part of our of our history, but that he's married in a folkloric sense to this goddess, Sheila. 
who embodies might, paganism. Who embodies, yeah, our pre-Christian path. Mm. And I, 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 maybe that's not an incorrect comparison to draw, but in my mind, I feel that that's so Ops powerful. Attract. It's so powerful, you know, and it's this <laughs> marriage of our past and present. And, yeah, uh, yeah. And the same, you know, with the, the whole idea of the equinox and like our, our ancient, our most ancient ancestors built these fantastic uh, big burial mounds Um that are aligned with the equinox and with many events on these celestial calendars. But there are a couple that are specifically aligned with the spring equinox. Yeah. And what I think is so interesting, and I don't know if anybody else has noticed this, this is just my personal uh, observation. The fact that the Sheilas appear above the doors of the churches, right? And that she has, she's her, her body is opened up. You almost feel as though you're walking into a womb when you're passing mm. underneath. Yeah. And what I noticed is these ancient Neolithic burial mounds have are almost the shape of a of a pregnant belly, and then the the narrow passageway and the door and the light that enters is like a birth canal or a vagina. Yes, and there are many examples that you can look at and say, "My God, that's so striking." And I can, and the the fact that you know we have um, up at Loch Cruz, leave Nicalia, all this, uh, you know, it's all linked to Ancailoch, to the winter, to the equinox, to all this really ancient spirituality. And then we have Sheila, very similar, you know, uh, very feminine, this open uh, openness to birth and creativity and that her day just happens to be March 18th. I mean, mm. it's all so connected yeah, I, it's, it is. and it, it is all just a big circle. I, I just love it. I think that's what makes studying, uh, you know, Irish mythology, Irish history, ar- archaeology. It's all so connected and you can't help but be kind of as objective as you try and to be it's it's very spiritual you know and it's very connected and um just something that is so uh, worth looking into and i'd recommend anyone that there's fabulous maps and everything that you can get and um, that have all of the Sheila and the gigs uh, in Ireland on them and go on a Sheila hunt <laughs> yeah. go on a Sheila hunt and see them for yourself they're unbelievable they yeah. really are you know do we have a number in and around how many they around know? 100 it's, around it's, 100 it's, it's, yeah. it's quite a number it's massive you know so it wasn't just in a community in no, an area this was this not. was countrywide and they appear you know in funny places there's one up at the Hill of Tara mm. and I tell you a personal story now but um, you know yourself I struggled with fertility for many mm. years before we got our little first but uh, and this has become almost a revived tradition now that women will go up and you'll often see women going up and hugging the shield and a gig on the stone at at the church in the churchyard at the Hill of Tara I did it myself oh gorgeous yeah a few times and now we have a Ferdia so I don't know if there's anything to it but uh, it's amazing and I think it's it's a gathering of female wisdom and intuition that goes so nicely hand in hand with having Patrick's Day beforehand you know the kind of more yeah. masculine more whatever you know you want to say about that the, the patriarchal sort of Patrick but then we have this older earthy feminine wisdom that comes the following day and I'd love to see it being revived I think we should all raise a glass Absolutely, <laughs> I'll routine. be I'll be hey an excuse and and it does make you think about um, you know energy and mm-hmm. when you look at masculine you know you can't have just feminine energy on its own there is mm-hmm. a combination of the the masculine and the feminine, mm-hmm. the yin and the yang, whatever yeah. you want to call it, that balance. And that, I suppose, is the March 17th and 18th is a, an example of that balance. Mm-hmm. You know, Absolutely. you have this figure, male, mm-hmm. and then the, the following day is the, the female representation. Yeah. Can we talk about Nagig? What, what, what is that about? What does that, the Sheila Nagig, Nagig part, what does that actually mean? I, do you know what? There's kind of a little bit of debate over that um, and I'm going to butcher the Irish words now but I believe it's uh, Sheila Nagyuk 
uh, is a is a kind of what it's been maybe speculated it could be. Um, and I think that translates to Sheila of the breasts or something like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Kirche are your breasts. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Sheila and the Kirche. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Ma- it does make sense. It does, because if you look at the little carvings, I mean, obviously the, the front and centre um, is the vagina, but ob- uh, like on a lot of them, the you breasts You do see breasts quite, also, yeah. yeah quite, okay. Yeah. And the Sheila that, you know, that went out to Newfoundland, mm. say, and the, the Sheila in the gig, are they completely separate or is there a connection? Like, where do they intertwine? Yeah, so I, in their name, I, for a yeah. start, you know, so the name Sheila is, it's kind of unusual name, to be honest. Um, it's It doesn't seem to be, uh, it, it appeared, you know, uh, in, in the medieval period, I believe. Um, and I think it was, you know, the Anglicisation uh, is Julia, yeah. Or Cecilia. Or Cecilia, yeah. That's and then there's various spellings. I obviously have, oh my God. you know, yeah. your standard Irish spelling, but there's yeah. also the Sheila's with the A-G-H, the S-H, yeah. the Sheila, you know, there's, I, there's, as far as I'm aware, there's definitely, um, I'd say there's four or five anyway, different mm. spellings, maybe even more. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, whether or not they're they're all um, related, I mean, it's just more research is going to have to be done, I think. Um, and I, do you know what? I think it's great because it is going to be done. Yeah. There's just so much interest now um, in the whole concept of Sheila. And uh, we want to, I, I would love to know, like, what is the relation with the little stone carvings with this mythical goddess or with the, the the folklore of Sheila going up to Newfoundland and it, like there are other examples as well you know um, just to show how powerful um, and how relevant she was uh, even in Australia so we have a huge Irish diaspora out there as well and I'm sure we've all watched Home and Way and all the rest and you'll hear the people calling women Sheila <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. <laughs> that comes directly from Ireland and yeah. from you know Sheila who went off with the with the um with the diaspora that headed off there. And it's so sad because I, I sometimes feel that um, with all the people and the knowledge that we lost, that we, that left, that had to leave Ireland, it's so sad that so much of our traditions and our, our knowledge and the, the, our, our past ended up going out with them. It's such a, it's such a shame because we kind of lost the, the knowledge about Sheila. Obviously, she she's still embodied and, and continued on, uh, on on foreign shores, but... We don't really know much about her here. And I often wonder if they didn't have to leave, would we, what kind of landscape would we be looking at here? You know, I often wonder that. And it's sort of, it's a little bit sad, really, mm. to think about it. But that's why people like you, historians, people who are folklorists, who are into it, mm. who study, who research, are, are so valuable to the likes of me because you can then educate us and yeah. remind us and encourage us to delve a bit deeper and look at it. And I think it's it's no mistake in in us sitting here today having this conversation because... You know, we spoke not so long ago about Bridget. Mm-hmm. This year on, on Irish TV, there was a documentary about, who, you know, who she was. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant. I loved it. Yeah. We had our conversation. Um, it was the first year that we actually had a had a national holiday. Like that didn't happen last year. It didn't no. happen the year before. There is a shift now. There is a change. It's been a long time coming. It didn't mm-hmm. happen overnight. Yeah. A lot of people like your good self have been campaigning for this change. But again, now we're discussing Sheila and the gigs. A few years ago, that might not have been, nope. not necessarily accepted, but certainly not normalised. No. Oh, my God. It's a team effort, Sheila. You know, and I, it's it's just great to see that uh, that there is an interest. And there really is. Like, I've been to Entails from the Woods since 2020. Since, mm. like, just mm. before the pandemic started. It was actually a New Year's resolution <laughs> to do to start it. I said, I'm really? going to do this now once and for all. And it's so taken off. And it took off. But um, even in the few years that I've been doing that, like, the amount of interest. Yeah. It's amazing. And you can have these great conversations and, like, rows. <laughs> I love it. 
Or do people kind of question what you're saying? Oh, of course, and I want them to, you know, because okay. that's the only yeah, way you learn. Sure. The only way you learn. I, that's, and I always say, like, you know, I, I'm none of us are perfect. I'll get things wrong occasionally or, I, you know, things will need to be updated and I'm so open to that because it's the only way we're going to move forward, you know. It's the yes. only way we're going to do it. So, it's great and I hope it continues. You know, I really do. I hope you enjoyed this episode and Shelley will be back again in a few months' time to tell us all about the Celtic Festival of Beltane. Thanks for listening to Ready To Be Real. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.